Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Welcome back, guys. Happy Friday, 204. So years and years ago, when we started having uh, Professor Avi Loeb from Harvard University on, I mean, he was very well-known academically. But now everyone knows him, and you see him on all the cable news shows because uh, a a few years ago and saying this could possibly be alien and uh, finding these spherical things off Papua New Guinea and uh, saying that this could be not only extraterrestrial but interstellar, could even be a part of an alien craft. And now other astronomers coming after Avi, and it's just become super, super interesting. And he joins us now. Avi, great to talk to you. Thanks for coming back. Thanks for having me. It's a great pleasure. So, uh, okay, so here we go. The last time we spoke, you were on your way to Papua New Guinea, and uh, you were going to check back in. I've been following this. I've been watching you on the show, so I know something of what you found. But let's pretend that my audience knows nothing about it. Uh, Why did you go to Papua New Guinea, and what did you find? Well, in uh, 2014, uh, U.S. government uh, satellites noticed a fireball um, over the Pacific Ocean, and uh, uh, it was of a meteor, an object half a meter in size that collided with Earth. And what was special about it is that it was moving very fast, uh, faster than the escape speed from the solar system. So we concluded that it came from outside the solar system. And even there, it was moving faster than 95% of the stars in the vicinity of the sun. And moreover, it maintained its integrity down to the lower atmosphere, implying that it was uh, of a material that is much stronger than even iron meteorites. So something quite unusual. And uh, that raised the possibility that maybe it's a Voyager-like meteor. Uh, Imagine the spacecraft that we launched, the Voyager, that will exit the solar system and could potentially collide with a planet like the Earth. It would appear as a meteor, uh, with an unusual strength and speed. And um, uh, we just wanted to check uh, what the nature of this object is. So we went to the Pacific Ocean, to the crash site, and uh, we uh, basically scraped the uh, skin of the ocean floor um, to look for any materials that are there. And we found them. Um, those uh, marbles, uh, basically molten droplets from the surface of this meteor, lying on the ocean floor at a depth of more than a mile, uh, across the region of uh, seven miles in size. And uh, we brought them back to Harvard University and analyzed their composition. And and by now, after two months, we confirmed that uh, they have a composition very different from solar system materials, uh, with a high abundance of... uh, beryllium, uh, lanthanum, and uranium uh, by factors of hundreds compared to the standard uh, composition of solar system materials. And so uh, that uh, implies that the object indeed came from a very uh, distant system source. Uh, Then the the next question is whether it's artificial, technological in origin, or natural. And for that, we will have to go back and look for bigger pieces of the object that can tell us whether it was a rock 
or uh, something else, a technological gadget. So, Avi, uh, many, many people, uh, myself included at some point in my life, would have probably figured that uh, go 100 million light years away, and it's going to be basically the same as what we have here in our solar system. It's all the same out there in the universe. At minimum, it appears that you have proven that uh, things are very, very different out there than they are here, since there is something that is so completely different and stronger than anything that we've ever seen. So it's not alike all over the universe. That's right. That's uh, But that's actually a conclusion that uh, already was reached 90 years ago when uh, uh, an astronomer named Fritz Zwicky realized that there must be a substance out there which is uh, very different from the materials we know in the solar system. And by now, this uh, substance is still unknown <laughs> after 90 years, and uh, it's called dark matter. Mm -hmm. We know that 83% of the matter in the universe is of uh, material that has never been seen uh, in the solar system. Uh, we don't know what it is. Uh, so this uh, possibility that we have a very limited view of the uh, composition of the universe just by visiting our neighborhood near the sun uh, is already known, you know, in the context of dark matter, except here we're talking about an object that is made of ordinary matter. And uh, even that is different than the rocks that we are familiar with in our backyard. Mm -hmm. Avi, is there any way to tell where in interstellar space it came from? In principle, yes. If we knew the duration of the journey, for example, that uh, can be done by uh, a clock that you might have on uh, such an object, like uh, radioactive uh, isotopes uh, are used as clocks uh, because uh, they decay. And one can tell how long uh, the journey took from the abundance of the, the daughter uh, products of those Decay, uh, decaying radioactive isotopes. Um, in principle, if we knew how long the journey was, we multiply that uh, duration by the velocity of the object, and we can tell how far away the source is. And that's something I realized on the ship in the Pacific Ocean. Uh, it's something that was never discussed because we never had such an object detected before this one. And uh, knowing its velocity outside the solar system and the duration of the journey, in principle, could have allowed us to pinpoint where its uh, source star might be. We're talking to Avi Loeb with Harvard University. Uh, Avi, is there a way currently, with our current technology, to ascertain whether this is natural or whether it is artificial that someone, something out there made it? Yeah, in principle, it's possible. Um, uh, for example, I'm thinking about uh, putting together all the elements that we see uh, in the spherules that we collected in these molten droplets um, and putting them together in a laboratory and seeing what kind of uh, material am I getting. That's one thing. Uh, another is, of course, to go back there and look for a bigger piece uh, because that should be easy. If, if it's a technological gadget, it might have uh, buttons on it. What, what are the odds, uh, Avi, that something bigger would survive the entry into the atmosphere and then also on top of that, I, I, I guess I'm trying to figure out the right way to ask this question because I know everything in science is about challenging something, right? Challenging hypothesis or a previously held belief. 
How do, do these things then eventually get held up to those challenges? Well, so first to answer your initial question, uh, it really depends on the size of the object, uh, because if it's big enough, the core of the object would survive, okay. wherein uh, the surface will get ablated. Uh, we know that uh, uh, from meteors, you know, the, the uh, huge uh, rock that uh, killed the dinosaurs, uh, that was the size of Manhattan Island. Hmm. It collided with Earth 66 million years ago, and it hit the ground. That's because uh, it was ablated at its outer uh, surface, but the core survived and went all the way down and raised a huge amount of uh, dust, uh, just like um, you know, an atomic explosion, mm-hmm. uh, and basically killed 75% of all life forms on Earth in that process. So it really depends on the size of the object. Uh, an object less than a meter uh, could potentially completely disappear. Uh, by passing through the atmosphere. But an object much bigger than a meter, the size of a person or more, uh, could survive, you know, the core of it can survive. So we don't know how big the hmm. object was, and all we found so far are those uh, droplets from the surface of the object. So, Avi, you can go back to Einstein and Teller and Heisenberg, and there's always been healthy, spirited debate among astronomers and physicists, and some of your colleagues across the country disagree, maybe a little bit agitated with you at the moment. Why is that? What what did they see that you don't, or vice versa? Well, I'm not really sure what bothers them, because I'm following the scientific method. We went there with, uh, you know, it was a lot of effort, a lot of work. We went there to collect materials. We came back with materials. We analyzed them in the scientific way, uh, and we now uh, posted a, a scientific paper about it. Uh, that's exactly how science is done. It looks like they really don't want it to happen. They don't want the process of science to apply to this subject, to this question, and they want to kill it uh, uh, you know, while it's still a baby. <laughs> uh, and I, I, I don't understand where it's coming from because they should be curious they should be happy that we put the effort to go there and just, uh, you know, um, respond to the data that we provide and try to, uh, you know, analyze it or interpret it. Because, uh, you know, I, I wish them happiness and prosperity. I'm not trying to make them unhappy, uh, but I'm just following the scientific method. And by the way, I'm taking the approach of the eagle. Uh, very t- uh, often the, the eagle has a crow on its back that pecks at its neck. And what the eagle does is uh, rise to greater heights where the crow cannot survive the low oxygen level and drops off. And I'm just trying to rise to the greatest heights that I can following the scientific method. And they still keep pecking at my neck. I don't really know what to do about it. Uh, You know, uh, I'm just at this point focusing on, you know, I keep my eyes on the ball. They want me to move away from the ball and start arguing with them. Yeah. Uh, but I know that if you mud wrestle, you get dirty. I don't want to do that. Good for you. Avi, what is the next step for you and your team? Uh, so we, are, we will analyze more uh, of these molten droplets, spherules. So far, you, we analyzed 57 of them. We have uh, more than 700. So we have a lot of uh, work to be done. And um, we might uh, also try to reproduce the material in the laboratory. And then finally, go back to the same uh, site of the meteor to look for bigger pieces and see if it was a technological gadget. Avi, if people want to follow your work or read your latest book, where do they go and what do they look for? 
Uh, I usually provide updates on medium.com. Uh, there is, uh, if you just type uh, in Google Avi Loeb uh, at medium.com, you will find those updates uh, with uh, links. And uh, also, uh, I have a website, a professional website at Harvard University. Very good. Avi, we will talk to you soon. We appreciate your work. We wish you the best of luck. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. You bet. I love that guy. I know. It's fascinating. Really is interesting to figure out, like, if they, what I'm most curious about is if you can find that larger piece, right? But is it, I meant to ask this and I forgot to do it you when can I was ask asking. Me. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm just curious, no, I'm just curious, like, does having the, does having the material you have now help you when you go back because you know more exactly what you're looking for? Right. We would almost have to. I would hope so. I want to find it. <laughs> you think they let me go? Yes. I go stand on the boat and be like, all right, guys, let's go. <laughs> It'd be like, he's so motivating. <laughs> Could you imagine me on a scientific expedition? You, no. They would throw <laughs> you overboard <laughs> so like, fast. We need, we need silence to do our research. That's a good point. No, I never shut no, up. Yeah, You know what it is because like every 10 minutes you'd be going like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Holy bazookas. What the heck? I just saw a fish. They'd be like, okay. Look we, at this. We got to get rid of this guy. <laughs> I want to go. Can we go from Avi Loeb to Michael Kelly? Do we need a buffer? (laughs) (laughs) I think think it works. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe a Hancock in the middle, right? That would work. (laughs) 223 DGS. Happy Friday. Our pal Michael Kelly is here with me, Hancock and Kelly. Hancock is on vacation, but Mike was nice enough to come in and just hang out with us. Uh, Pretty cool stuff, right? With Avi Loeb, you into that kind of thing? Oh, gosh, yeah. So interesting. Yeah, and the thing about the telescope, uh, that they've put up the web, this, yeah, the, the web telescope and the other one, they've really changed my entire thought process. I mean, look, I consider myself to be a Catholic and I grew up Catholic, but when I see those pictures, I, I just can't help but contemplate. Boy, this is really almost selfish that we believe the way that we believe when it's so big out there. Does that make sense? Does of that course. Resonate? I think you yeah. can argue it both ways. Yeah. But like when I was very religious and, and someone would bring that up, I would say, well, you're talking about God. So God just waved his hand and it went on for infinity. That's not that difficult to understand. Uh, and now that I'm an agnostic, I look at it differently, but I'm still open to people who believe what I used to believe. Um, but what fascinates me is how... The normal brain, I guess there is some, for Avi Loeb, he can probably hold on to the thought for 10 seconds longer than me. But when I look at like that, uh, the Whirlpool galaxy that you showed me, Wheels. Yeah. It takes me about 10 seconds to really kind of click what it is. And I can think of it for two seconds and it's gone. Right. Now I'm back to Ronald McDonald land thoughts, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Like you just can't even imagine. It's unfathomable. It's unfathomable. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, Want to continue with something like this? Yeah. Again, some of our more religious, like, young earthers out there won't like this, but I happen to accept evolution. Uh, I don't know how they're saying that this is true or proving this, but it's hit everything today in the media that they believe that 900,000 years ago, uh, one of our ancestors, because remember, if you accept evolution, it was just this tree of all these homo this and homo that and hairy people walking upright through the savannah, that... Uh, 800,000 years ago, a necessary ancestor of ours got down to 1,280 people on the whole planet. Wow. So COVID, a tsunami, really big bear. <laughs> like, <Right>. we could, <laughs> That's a big-ass bear. We could, we could, like, does that send a chill up your spine to think that 
that us, we wouldn't be here if those 1,280 individual beings hadn't made it. Wow. That's deep. It's crazy. You know, there's some people who just believe that the Earth is the only place that life exists. And of course. And this is just a coincidence. Probably most people think that. Yeah. And, and when, you, when you lay it out like you just laid it out, there were only 12,000 of us. I don't know about you guys. I, I have ESPN+. Plus. Uh, but as a result that comes with that, I get Disney, mm-hmm. and Disney has the Nature Channels, National Geographic, yeah. and stuff. Yeah. I have spent the last two months of my life in a rabbit hole watching all of these, you know, space type things mm-hmm. and stuff. And there's this other guy. One it's a pretty comfortable rabbit hole too. Yeah. Oh, it's my. It's, it's <laughs> That's definitely one of mine. I wouldn't even call it a rabbit hole. It's just where I live. It's my bed. Yeah. There's, a, there's another guy called Lost Cities, and he's a one-legged yep, dude. Yep. Yeah. Yep. He's awesome, and you start to realize that, like, we, you know, we think of the Egyptians. That's where it all started. Oh no! I mean, there's it's it's here. Quebec yeah, Tepe and yeah. all that. Who's the uh, professor that we talked to that was going to the Cave of Bones? Yes. Do you John, know about the Cave of Bones? No. John Hawks. John Hawks, and there's actually I I think it might be on HBO Max. It maybe that or Disney, but there is. A documentary about that cave. Yes, and I haven't watched it yet, but I know we talked I to. I think it's Netflix. You should check it out. Yeah, it's really it, good. It's this cave where I, I forget how they're in South Africa. Long right? ago it was. Yeah, but uh, wh- but these people who are our ancestors. No, they no, they they're were not, not related. They were unrelated, but they were burying their dead. Which again, and doing and yeah. doing wall art, very arrogantly. But they were not human. We've right. always thought that we're the only ones who bury our dead. Mm-hmm. And here's this species that was like eighty thousand years ago that are not related to us who are burying their dead. Yeah, right? they said they have the their brains, their skulls were the size of a chimpanzee. Um, they were obviously intelligent because they were burying the dead. And and again, I feel like this was wasn't this like. 100,000 years ago, yeah, something like that. Wow. And they're doing art on the walls in the cave, but they're not related to us in any way. Wow. And th- and think about it. They thought they were the end-all be-all. Right. They were like, those guys that came before us, they couldn't scratch things on a cave wall. <laughs> right. There'll never be anyone better than us. Let's go uh, Let's go bury Ned, you know? And <laughs> know. We're probably running out of time, but do you guys think it, that someday with all this... Uh, Chat GPT or whatever, every all this technology that we can figure out how to move in space and time continuum, and even go back and see that stuff. I truly think fifty-fifty that we get there or we annihilate ourselves. Right. I mean, I really do. I really. I'm not trying. I'm not even trying to be like hyperbolic. I think it's fifty-fifty that uh, we keep saying like, well. The millennials will do it. Gen Z will do it. Gen Alpha will do it. They'll pull it all together. I think at some point, some generation or 10 generations in a row will be better than us and focus better than us and bring us to a point of true understanding or we'll just be gone like those guys 80,000 years ago, 80, years ago in a cave. Can you stick around? I'm here with you. Awesome. Until you throw awesome, me awesome, awesome, awesome. 236 DGS. Michael Kelly is here from Hancock and Kelly. Uh, let me do a little miniature rant and uh, wheels has done this same thing. So I'm just kind of ripping him off here, but I was, I was doing show prep today and I'm watching the news obviously. And it goes from, you know, one dirty Congress person to another dirty Congress person to uh, justice Thomas and Harlan Crow and all this kind of thing. And I just got so angry. And one of wheels big deal is, uh, Hey, it's just the powers that be, 
playing us, exploiting us, uh, using us. They know as long as they can keep us little guys fighting each other and hating each other, and they can keep cashing checks. And I really think that there's a lot to be said for that. Um, John Hancock and Michael Kelly have so much more in common than either of you do with pretty much anyone in Congress, even on your side of the aisle. I have more in common with Mark Cox, even though we disagree on most everything uh, politically. We have more in common, way more in common than we do with those people. And it's really beginning to piss me off. <laughs> like, I've been bitching and moaning about it for years, but I'm getting to the point now where it's like, okay, we need to do something about this. Remember last week when we talked about this and a guy called in, he's like, yeah, let's go. Let's go. What can we do? We got to do something. But do you guys feel me? Like, the more we learn through sunshine laws and just good investigative reporting, the more we learn, the dirtier it looks and the dumber I feel. I mean, it, what what's maddening to me, too, is the way we still, even even understanding these things, fall into the same traps. If you're on the right, well, George Soros is terrible. And if you're on the left, you're, oh, but the Koch brothers. And, like, it's all the same thing. It's all the same thing using wealth to manipulate policy. And they're not using it to manipulate policy in our favor. And I bet the Koch brothers and George Soros would get along just fine. (laughs) I don't know, Michael. You think so? Totally. So, Congressman Gephardt, I worked for him for a long period of my life and still to this day the the man I respect most in politics. But Mr. Gephardt used to say all the time he was the Democratic leader. So, you know, he was essentially the class president, if you were, because the Democrats were the minor- in the minority. But he always used to say, listen, at the end of the day, Congress is a reflection of America. And the reality is, is, yeah, we've got thieves. We've got uh, people who are going to take advantage of the system, people who are selfish, sexist, racist, whatever it might be. But you got that in your office. You've got that in your regular life. Um, and so I think sometimes we look to Congress as, you know, they should be better than that, and they should. But the reality is, is they're pretty much just a reflection of us uh, and, and who we are as people. Now, I had a guy at my house the other day. He was helping me out with stuff. He was younger because I'm not the handy guy. And so he was complaining about the whole Mitch McConnell thing to me. And 28 years old, we we talked for about 15 minutes. And he just said, you know, I look at everybody on television, and I feel like I'm watching the movie Weekend at Bernie's, that that's what the United States Senate is. And, you know, that Joe Biden and his kid have no way of relating to me. He thinks that Donald Trump's nuts, but he's kind of a – and I said to him, well, you know, are you voting? And he goes, no, I just don't think it makes that much of a difference. And that's really where we're at, guys, is that I think the majority of us live in the mushy middle. Um, you know, you can see some good points on all sides. That Maybe we ought not be aborting a baby on the last day. But at the same time, we're not going to let somebody deal with the situation via rape or incest. I think most of us find ourselves in the mushy middle. Unfortunately, I think what's going on with the media, and maybe we're all guilty of it because we talk about it, we, we, we help push it, that they're just checking out. And here was a guy who spent 20 minutes or 15 minutes talking to me about his disgust. He's 28 years old. He's making his way in his life. And I asked him, are you participating? He goes, no, I don't think it makes that much of a difference. That's the reason you're getting mm. these kooks. Mm. Um, if we all went and participated, I think most people are like Wheels and Glover. I really do. I, I think most people are where you all are at. See, Nikki Haley today said that the Senate is like a privileged nursing home. Yeah. I mean, it's not. It, that's not wrong. And I, but I, I think there's a 
I may be wrong about it, but I think there's another level to it where there are people who have so much wealth that really all they do is try to manipulate. Well, yeah, they they, they make- use the money to influence policy, but again, not in a way that's good for 99% of people. And we have and a body. Isn't that weird? Like, none of us are at that level. Yeah. But I would think that if I were suddenly a billionaire, I have more money than I can probably literally ever spend. I would think that I would become very altruistic and I would want to leave my mark in a positive way on humanity. And some do, but I'm shocked at how many just keep trying to scrape more money on the pile. But at the end of the day, you know, one billionaire, I had a billionaire on the radio with me today, Rex Singfeld. And I encourage you to go back and listen to the interview. Uh, If you didn't hear it, it was an excellent interview. It was the 50th anniversary of the index funds, which he invented. I point blank asked him that. I said, you're a billionaire. Well, what, first of all, what are you doing in St. Louis? I mean, I uh, fear if I had a billion dollars, I wouldn't know where St. Louis was on a map. And um, he said, you know, look, this is the place I want to be. I realize that I can't make the big ripples throwing my money around this the other ways. And so he invested in St. Louis. And as a result, we're a big chess town. He's a big deal at St. Louis U. So I do think people are trying to do it. Um but I, I don't know. Maybe it's the selfishness of, of, of each other that we just don't s- seem to want to help each other to to survive and and find a way to succeed in life. You know, we're we're all about this dog eat dog world, and then we look at our politicians and say, well. How come you're not treating us right? Well, you're not getting treated right in the boardroom. You're not getting treated right in so many places in your life. I wonder sometimes. It's like, like I say many times that uh, my parents' uh, generation, I think, were too strict and too whippy. My generation, I think, are too soft. Mm -hmm. And if you mush them together, you probably have a pretty good parent. Right. You know? And I feel that way sometimes. Like, I think that we miss the seriousness of, like, the 1950s and 60s. When it was people took pride, and not every single person, but for the most part, I think people took pride in what they did for a living. They took pride in their home. They took pride in their families. They were, of course, they had fun and they laughed, but it seemed like a very serious time. If we could go back to that, minus all the racism and anti-LGBT, you know, like, I think we've lost some seriousness that we could use and some rules. Like, the other day when I went to the theater and I left because I got uncomfortable because it was mayhem. It was absolute mayhem trying to watch a stupid vampire movie. Like, that wouldn't have happened back then. But, But don't you think we're living in the greatest times, and hear me out on this. Because at the end of the day, I mean, in the United States here, and yes, we have poverty, we have homelessness, we have injustice. But if you look at the preponderance of our population, at the end of the day, even the homeless people are are heavy. Um, you know, we all have idle minds. You the Rachel about, Zimmerman. Yeah, you, you, you go back to my parents. They had six of us. They were just trying to survive. They didn't have time to sit and pick a fight over <laughs> what book was being read at a library yes. or what the guy at the quick trip was wearing. Yeah. No, they were just trying to get down. Now we all, I mean, at the end of the day, we're all pretty spoiled and we have too much time. And we're, this is where I guess idle minds go is to mischievous things. Mm. You think you're right? 
Yeah, it, it, yeah, there's no question that day-to-day life is easier now than it's ever been. We, Rachel and I were just like, what, when was it? The other day, we were like, God, I'm glad we didn't grow up in the in Deadwood, yeah. South Dakota <laughs> back in that time because we were talking about the TV show because that would really suck when someone could just shoot you <laughs> when you didn't, if you didn't, or, or you had to be the faster gun to survive. But it's a stark thing to see a nation so wealthy and people so wealthy and then people on the street. And not even just homeless people. I'm also talking about families that do live somewhere but don't know if they're going to be able to feed their kids on a given day. Like, how do those two things exist and how do we have a spot where people at the top just don't care? I've said this before, but it seems to chill up my spine. Is it possible that maybe that this is just too many people to govern effectively? You know, 330 million people and you got 535, whatever it is, people trying to trying to govern and take care. And like maybe this is just and I'm not saying can't win, don't try or let's blow up the whole system. But maybe we've gotten to the point now. Look at like the colonies and and here only a couple hundred years later, which is a blip historically. It's just it's just the blink of an eye. And maybe this is just really, really, really hard to do. Well, we used to have more rules, too, right? I mean, starting in the 90s, we we deregulated the media, so now four companies can literally own everything. Where there used to be rules, you couldn't own a newspaper and a radio station in the same town. You couldn't own TV and radio. You couldn't own certain percent. Well, now you can – four companies own everything in the major TV sphere, and they own newspapers. Fox owns New York Post or whatever, and, and, and it's not – when you get to that point where you're taking away rules, go look at the effective tax rates from the 1950s and 60s, you know, and, and look at the, the wage gap between bosses and their employees or the CEOs and their employees. And what is it? Multiply now by times 100? The difference? I mean, like the rules used to be there and they were actively removed. And obviously we're to blame, as Michael always says, because we let people do it. Yeah. Uh, if you ever want to get on with us, uh, we don't talk about this enough, but the phones are always open. 314-436-7900-800-925-1120. Welcome back, guys. DGS 252. Michael Kelly hanging out with us. Uh, Andrew was just telling me that our buddy Greg Warren was uh, sending some compliments over the text. So, Greg, thank you very, very much. That means a great deal. Uh, one of the best comedians out there. Good friend of the DGS. I love Greg. Um, Hi, Greg. I think you love Greg a little too much. I think that may be true. Well, that may that, be true. Yeah. That's the first thing you've ever admitted. No, oh, I admit to everything. Oh, my God. Oh, that's not true. After I fight. I'm, I'm immune to love. Mr. Impervious. Uh, Rachel, what do you got? Okay, so yesterday we spent a little bit of time, uh, actually a lot of bit of time, kind of complaining about work from home people and how, and I, I was going on about like, they need to acknowledge their privilege, that this is not, you know, <laughs> you did say that. You did say that. And, you know, I was thinking about it last night, and while I don't take back anything I said, allow me to acknowledge my privilege a little bit. I never want to be one of those people who is on the air saying like, my job is so hard because I'm so blessed to do this. Like, it, it is such a privilege to do this every day, and I'm just 
just thinking if I were like working an actual job where it's hard work, uh, listening to this, hearing someone like complain or be like, check your privilege at the door. Like, no, I am the most privileged to be able to do this. We all are. And yeah. we're privileged to have people listen. So thank you to everyone who listens. And the other thing I wanted especially to say, Greg Warren. especially Greg yeah, Warren, for sure. <laughs> the other thing I wanted to say is just a big shout out to everyone who comments on Facebook and Twitter and sends emails and stuff. Don't thank them enough, um, but we've been just posting a little more lately, and people are, in general, so nice. Good. You, a lot of times you think, like, the comment section is just toxic and whatever else, but not necessarily when it comes to the DGS. It's we have nice. a great audience, so I wanted to thank everyone for their contributions. Michael Kelly, a couple minutes left in this segment. Would you please take it and talk a bit about Labor Day, given what you do for a living? Yeah, well, Labor Day uh, is a day that honors all of us, and because uh, if you have a job out there, um, this is your holiday. Uh, we often talk about how America is the greatest country on the planet, and the reason it is is because of the people who go out and work and built the things that are so incredible in our lives. Special thank you, obviously, to the men and women in organized labor who take a percentage of their hourly wage on an everyday basis. Uh, for to push forward for unions. And a lot of people define unions as those big bad uh, guys from the gangster movies. But the reality is, is they are organizations that advocate for workers, specifically their own. But whenever the wage rates and the working conditions and the safety provisions come in, it's organized labor who leads the charge. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I am grateful to people who work. Uh, and we're all workers. And, you know, we live in a country where you can work with dignity and you have protections. And that's it. I love uh, I love uh, organized labor and, and what they've done for our country. And I appreciate you letting me say that. Yeah. Amen, brother. I, I, I honestly, you guys know me. I cry if I get a bad parking space. But there are times like if it's if I'm out early and I'm at QT and everyone's getting their coffee and they're going to work, I'm like, God love you guys. Right. Right? I mean like just everyone who's doing something out there. How about the when you leave a bathroom at a ballpark or something and it looks like there was a war zone? Mm. Somebody comes in someone's gonna clean that up. up. Yeah. Yeah. And they deserve the same protections that on their job that you have on yours. Yeah. Amen. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. 